Open your Bibles to 2 Peter, and if you've got a bulletin, you can turn to the back and you can follow along on our study guide. Tonight, we uh, are going to start something new with our home devotionals, and I need to share just a word of explanation to our guest. If you're with us today for the first time, or maybe missed when we talked about this back in December, we're doing some things differently on Sunday night, um, you know, making the most of every opportunity to spur one another on to love and good deeds. And so we're doing different things on Sunday nights for um, 2018. Uh, We've been doing this already, continuing our home Bible studies twice a month. On the second Sunday, we have Sunday Night Connect, and both of those so far have just been uh, so successful and so enjoyable and encourage you to be a part of those. Um, And then on the first Sunday of this month, we had our first day of service, uh, like we did last year. We did that again and again, uh, a great success. Um, But tonight is the first time we're doing a home devotional. Uh, January, you might remember, on that fourth Sunday, uh, we had the area-wide worship at CA, and so we all were able to be a part of that. So this is the first time we're doing our home devotional. So I want to, in our time this morning, kind of remind us all what these are about, how this is going to happen, but most of our time talking about the the text, the background of what we're going to be studying. I want to just kind of remind you of what we shared back in December, because your elders and ministers realize that there are so many that uh, life is just so busy, so very, very busy. It wasn't too long ago that Saturdays were for family time, and Sundays were a time of worship. But today, Saturdays are chock full of everything, just sports, uh, practices, games, errands. And so any kind of family time gets bumped to Sunday. And so Sunday is worship and family time. And so so many families are thinking, do I really need to come back on a Sunday night for a second worship when the family's not even been together much at all, all week long? And so we understand that. We hope this fourth Sunday night format, having these home devotionals, will help with that. I want to share some suggestions, especially to young families, but first I also want to remind about those who are alone, those who uh, are by themselves. How are you supposed to have a home devotional? Because we want to address that because there is a significant part of our church who maybe never married, or they're divorced, or maybe they're widow, widower, and they're alone. They have nobody in their home to gather up for a home devotional. And then there are those who are spiritually alone. You may be married, but your spouse doesn't come to worship with you. And so the thought of you being able to, to, to do this with them, that's not going to happen. What we know is that there is something spiritually uplifting when the whole church comes together. You know, just together to sing and pray together, uh, to encourage one another. There is something about that that is beyond explaining. We understand why God commands us to come together and worship. But we also know But the Bible talks about the importance of a personal relationship with God. We see this from the beginning of the Bible to the end. That you can gather with a whole bunch of people and still not mean anything. It has to be something personal. Call it a spiritual discipline. Call it an exercise. But time alone with God is good. So solitude can be good. So tonight, this can be a special time for you to connect with God. In your handed uh, bulletin you have that's printed and also the emailed copy, if you get emailed, there is a devotional guide to help. Um, If you didn't grab one, you can get one as you leave. And by design, they're not long, but we do want them to be meaningful. Now, another option, if you are alone as an adult, would be to get with another adult and do this together. 
Or maybe uh, reach out to one of our homebound members and, and maybe go to their house or invite them to your house. Or, or maybe just get with a friend and, and do this together. Whatever your situation, look forward to these four Sunday nights for these home devotionals. This can be a great opportunity. But let's talk about the families with children at home. How will this work for, for, for them? Again, by way of reminder, but parents, let me ask you a question. How often do you intentionally pour into your children spiritually? Not just bring them to Bible class, not just bring them to a youth group activity, not just enroll them at Columbia Academy where they may study the Bible with someone else teaching, but have your children heard you, Dad, or you, Mom, talk about spiritual matters, to pray about God, to discuss Scripture. Tonight is an excellent opportunity to do just that. And the ministry staff has made it easy, the ministry staff has made it easy for you by writing what we hope is an age-appropriate guide. If you look at your, um, the insert in the bulletin, what you see there, there's one for adults, and then there are two for families. And we divided that for families with the younger ones, fourth grade and below, and then families uh, that have a fifth grader and above. And if you've got a child in both of those categories, you can kind of choose which one works better for, for your family. But, Dad, you've read passages and you've heard sermons. You know what the Bible says about you spiritually leading your home. This is a great opportunity to do that. You could do this with your family after you finish the evening meal or maybe at bedtime. Just gather around, go in the den or maybe in one of the bedrooms. You all pile in together, turn the TV off, put the phones in another room and just spend a few moments connecting. Let your children hear you talk about spiritual matters, what you believe, what's important to you. And let your children talk and listen to them. Where are they? What do they believe? Maybe have your child lead a song or maybe say a prayer or read the scripture. Parents, use this opportunity to connect your family to the Lord. Let them hear you pray for them by name. Spiritually lead your family. These four Sunday nights can be such a great opportunity that you can look forward to each month. We also talked about as we were planning this how one family might get with another family. And do this together. How fun would that be? Or maybe invite your neighbor. There may be somebody that may never come to church with you. They may never come to a home Bible study, but they may come to your house because they know you. And say, hey, let's have a meal together and let's have this devotional time. Love for you to be a part of that. So many things we can do. Or you could reach out to, again, somebody that's homebound at church or somebody you'd like to encourage and have them come over and spend time with them. The possibilities for just stirring one another on to love and good deeds are endless with this. I can remember talking with our elders as we were planning and dreaming and thinking about what can we do to, to challenge our church and just to help our church to grow, how excited we all became about how many good things, how many options, how many ways that we can do this. One of the things that we also learned as we were studying is that People who have been down this path trying to figure out how to do some creative things that would encourage and grow the church, especially with Sunday nights, we got some good advice that if there are those who want to come to the building at 6 o'clock, then we need to make something available for them. And so we're going to do that. If you'd like to be here at the building at 6 o'clock, then you can come to the chapel. And each month, one of our elders will lead this exact same devotional. So you can come and be a part of that. So either way, we want you to be a part of a home devotional time. I want us to talk our time, most of our time today, 
about what we're going to talk about tonight. This theme, this topic, we're calling it a guide to spiritual growth. And we're using Peter's inspired words in 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7 as our topics. And what we'll do each month is we'll use one of these topics, and that'll be our discussion for that evening, kind of work our way. So this theme will take us the next nine or ten months. But you remember the passage, I put it on the screen, 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Peter writes, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. So again, we're going to go through the list, one attribute each month. But to fully appreciate the text, we didn't want to just say, okay, there's the verse, go for it. Because it's always good to understand the context. Why did Peter write this? What's the backstory? What's going on with this? Where does this fit in the whole book of 2 Peter, his second letter to these people? Well, what I want to do is I want to encourage you to open your Bible to 2 Peter. If you didn't bring one, I'm going to have some of the verses on the screen, but I want you to see this in your Bible. So if you didn't bring one, just grab one in the pew, and I want you to notice this and kind of see how this all lays out. What you'll notice if you've got your Bible open to 2 Peter is that it's a very short book, three chapters. There's not a lot. It's not a lengthy reading at all. And the dominant theme is false teachers. That's what this chapter 2 is all about. And it's described there, false teachers, in very graphic terms. And Peter is concerned for these Christians, and he wants them to successfully endure against these attacks from these false teachers, this false theology, this wrong thinking. So how do you do that? Chapters 1 and 3 tell the believer how to survive. Know about these false teachers so here's how you can make it. So there's some things you need to know. So put that on your study guide. Look at the screen. You need to know three things, according to Peter. You need to know first, Scripture. Chapter 1, verses 12 through 21, that's what he says. You need to know what the Bible says. Not just what somebody tells you it says. You need to know Scripture. You also, number two, you need to know the Lord's coming back. Or at least remember that. Maybe you've heard that. You need to know the Lord's coming back. And today in our text, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, you need to know that you're saved. If you don't know Scripture, if you don't know that you're saved, if you forget about the Lord coming back, you are like a sitting duck with a target on you, and it's only a matter of time until you go under. That's the picture that he paints here. If you don't do something, he's saying, this is going to happen. But before telling you to do something, because in this passage we're going to be looking at, this is verses 5 through 7, he says, okay, do this. But before he tells us what to do, he tells us what we need to know. He says, you have, and I put this on the screen, you have everything in Christ because of his divine power. That's important to know. Right off the bat, just know this. You have everything in Christ because of his divine power. Look how the book opens. 2 Peter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant of the apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now look at verse 3. His divine power has granted to us 
all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of the sinful desire. So Peter shares here that it is God's divine power that has given us all that have obtained this faith, everything you need. You're well set. God's made sure of that. And this divine power becomes effective through this knowledge that you have, these promises that he has. Or to put it another way, when we remember God's promises, we have the power to resist these temptations of evil, and we're spurred on then to do good things like love and justice and, and mercy, all that God has called us to do. So the main goal in life, as Peter is just kind of saying from the very beginning, is life and godliness. And our strength is his divine power. And the way that comes about, the connection, those cables, is trusting in the promises. One commentary said this, we're the light bulbs of our neighborhoods. God is the power source. He's the generator of electricity. And the cables that connects the two are God's promises. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, what he says right off the bat, be sure of your salvation. Know that you're saved. Or to use Peter's words, confirm your calling. Now, again, our main focus on these devotionals each month are going to be verses 5 through 7. But after these verses, he says in verse 10, after saying that, he says, confirm your calling and election. But again, that comes after verses 5 through 7. So look at the screen again at verses 5 through 7. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness. And steadfastness with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly, brotherly affection with love. But notice how this part opens. For this reason. Well, what reason? What's he talking about there? Well, verses 3 and 4 tell us the reason. What God has done for us. That's the reason. God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, don't miss the connection. And I say that because if you grew up memorizing this verse in the King James Version, you likely missed it. When I was studying this passage, I was trying to think which version renders it best. And, and you know me, I don't like any one particular version all the time because one version gets it better over here, one version gets it better over there. Well, the NIV kind of misses this particular part of this. I put this on the screen. Since God has given power for godliness, make every effort to become holy. Now, the order of that is key, and that's what the King James Version doesn't get. Most of the other translation says it the way it's intended to be translated, that make every effort. That's our theme for tonight. Before we get into talking about faith next month, we're going to talk about make every effort tonight. That's the topic tonight. This is the heart of being a completely committed follower of Jesus. We make every effort because God has promised us, because God is at work in us. That's what he said in these opening verses. Now, here's the challenge. And here's where false teaching and false thinking gets in the way. Don't reverse the order. 
Because sometimes we reverse the order. Don't think or say, I work out my salvation so that God will work in me. Sometimes we think that way. Instead, say with Paul, Philippians 2, 12 and 13, I work out my own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in me both to will for his good will and pleasure. Don't say I press on to make it my own in order that Christ will make me his own. You see the order there? Instead, say like Paul, Philippians 3.12, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. You see we're getting the order is right. God's done this for me. So then what's my response? I'm not doing this. You're not adding all these virtues as payment so now God owes you. That's not what he's saying. He said, God has saved you. His power is in you. You are, you are his now. You make every effort. That's the point of this. God is for us. You've got his divine power. Our response to that then, you make every effort. You make every effort. And then verses 5 through 7 describe how we should live. Now, again, I put this on the screen on the list. These next eight things. Notice here, faith, virtue. Again, that's the English Standard Version. Some translations say moral excellence or fortitude, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness. Some versions say patience there, godliness, brotherly affection, love. Notice this, and they're in yellow. The list begins with faith and ends in love which is in perfect agreement with the rest of the Bible. I mean, that, that's the way it goes. I mean, faith, this confidence in God's promises, that's how, again, we plug into His power. And then when we do that, that is how we're able to love, even our enemies, even the unlovable. And that's the goal and the sum of life. And between faith and love are these six other qualities that we should have. Now, when you see these, and I put them on the list because I want you to see them kind of in order. Be, be thinking about these. Because we see these, and it's so easy to think of them as like grade levels, you know. I master one, you check that, and you move on to the next one. Sometimes we approach this sort of like going to the grocery store. You got your cart, and you find item one, you put it in. Now we're looking for item two, you put it in, and then you go to item three. As in you accomplish one, and then you move on to the next. But that's not really the way it's presented here. It's not a grab one and then you move on. I think what Peter's saying here in verses 5 through 7 is that these continue to kind of help each other. In fact, patience, on down in the lists, you can't have patience if you don't have love. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about that. So these are intermeshed. They're interwoven, if you will. They're not just separate things that you just grab and you add to your, your growth. But Peter's saying here in these verses, Christians are not to stop pursuing this growth ever. You make the most of every opportunity. He said in chapter 3, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Just keep growing. Just keep maturing. Keep becoming more and more like Jesus. They apply themselves with diligence. They increase these things. Here's another thought. The NIV has the words add in there. Several translations do. The NIV is one. And, and actually, add is probably not the best word because that kind of lends itself to that kind of thinking. I grab this, then that, then that. The idea is supplement. You supplement in your faith 
virtue. It kind of comes alongside. You continue with these things. You kind of hear the message of, of keep on and, and keep on and, and keep on and just keep going. That's the kind of message that he's sharing here. You make every effort. That's what he's saying in these verses. Kids, look at the screen. Adults, too, you can look. Who are these two? Remember this movie? Finding Nemo, his friend Dory. Nemo's lost. He wants to go home. He's tired. He's discouraged. And Dory is his good friend. Now, kids, Dory gives him some really good advice. Do you remember? What does he say? Just keep swimming. Remember that? Go ahead and go to the next slide. There you are. Just keep swimming. Little did you know that's good theology. It is. Just keep swimming. That's really what Peter is saying here. Because as a Christian, there's no such thing as standing still when you're in deep water. And friends, we are surrounded by sharks. Chapter 2, full of false teachers, false thinking. Satan is trying to take us down. He's saying, there is no way you're going to make it unless you just keep swimming. It is that important. Richard Bunning wrote a true story entitled Glenda's Long Swim. It's an oldie but goodie in the incredible series. Glenda and Robert Lennon were four miles off the coast of Florida fishing from their yacht, just the two of them. Glenda decided to take a swim, so she jumped in. Little did she know, she jumped into a current that quickly started taking her away from the boat. So she screamed for her help. Her husband heard her without thinking. He jumped in to save her, but now he's in the same current, and they're both being quickly taken away from the boat. What do you do? Richard was an expert swimmer. Glenda, just so-so. And they both knew that, so they made a plan. Richard would swim against the current with everything he had to try to get back to the boat. But Glenda would never make it. They knew that. So her plan, her part of the plan, was for her to just tread water and just go with the current. Keep your head above water. He would get to the boat, then he would come and find her. For six hours, he swam against the current. The whole time the boat is just about to disappear on the horizon as the sun is setting. Finally, after six hours, he's able to break from the current, swims to the boat, but this time it's dark. He can't find his wife. It's night time. The next morning, the search crew finally found Glenda, 20 miles from the boat, still treading water. She was saved. I shared that story because what it illustrates is this. Christians who just float, you never stay in the same place. Christians who ignore verses 5 through 7, Christians who do not make every effort, you're going to drift into peril. There's no such thing as standing still in deep water. You have to work hard. You have to, Peter's words, make every effort. You have to make every effort that 
this faith that's in the promises of God, this power that he's promised to you. And in that faith, that confidence, you make every effort to supplement, that's the word here, virtue and knowledge and self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection and love. And I also want to point out and make sure we all get this, this he's not talking about electives here. He's not mentioning, oh, this would be good if one day you get around to adding these things. This is survival. You see, in the context of 2 Peter, he mentions here, chapter 2, there are false teachers, false doctrine, and it's going to take you down. Chapter 3, the Lord's coming back. You can take your risk and float and hope the Lord comes back before you go under. You can do that. But Peter paints a picture, you're not going to make it. If Robert had not continued to swim against the current, make every effort, all diligence here, he would have gone under. I want to make this point. We're not to judge a person's genuineness by how close he is to heaven, but instead by how hard he's swimming. Is he, is she making every effort? The evidence that God's power has been given to you is the faith that you believe that and now you're responding by making every effort. As verse 5 says, to grow in Christ. But let's keep reading. I want to read the verses after verses 5 through 7 to get the book in, the other side of the context. Look at verse 8. He makes an explicit warning. Everything we're talking about here. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What Peter says here is, knowing about Jesus is not enough. Knowing about Jesus is not enough. The knowledge of Christ can still be barren. Knowledge of Christ can still be unfruitful. It's possible to make a start in the Christian life and following Jesus. And then you get to a point where you just don't feel it anymore. You're indifferent. And that means we drift into destruction. Look what Peter wrote in the next chapter, 2 Peter 2.20. For if, after they escape the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they again are entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. If you know about these glorious promises and that doesn't spur you on to make every effort to grow in this way, you're just going to drift with the tide. And it's only a matter of time until you're going to get tangled and you're going under. Verse 9 describes what happens to that person who quits swimming. Look what it says there. For whoever lacks these qualities, these qualities, again, verses 5 through 7, if you lack these qualities, you're so nearsighted that he's blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. See, that's the problem with the person who does not make every effort. You go blind. And he talks about this, you're kind of a blindness in two directions. There's a blindness that you can't see in the future. You've forgotten that Jesus is coming back. You've forgotten that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You've forgotten all of that. You've forgotten the promises of God. You're swallowed up into the blur of today and just worldly trappings. I think that's what it means here when it talks about nearsighted. You can't see things in the distance. But it's not just heaven and, and, and the goal. It's also you, you forget where you've come from. You're so blind. You're so nearsighted. You don't remember being forgiven. That amazing feeling that now you're a child of God. You are His. You've been bought. Every sin is removed. 
That's long gone. You're blind. You're nearsighted. You can't see that anymore. Just as in verse 3, the power for godliness flows to the knowledge of God. Verse 9 says, the blindness to the past, the blindness to the future with God, it just like straps your arms to your side and your feet together, and it's only a matter of time until you're underwater. And then verse 10 makes it crystal clear what's at stake with this blindness, the spiritual blindness not being able to see, this powerlessness, you can't swim. Look what he says there, verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities... You will never fall. What qualities? Verse 5 through 7. The ones that we're going to, if you practice these, you will never fall. See, the danger described in verses 8 and 9, this incentive that gives us to want to grow in these traits, these qualities, is not the danger of not maturing as you should. It's the danger of losing your soul. It's the danger of not making it. It's a matter of eternal life. See, the most important question. The most important question is, am I a child of God? Have I been bought? Do I belong to Him? Am I going to heaven? Now, if we are, if you are a child of God, God wants you to know that. Know you're His. Wear His name. You be confident in His promises. And He wants you to have this joyful assurance. And out of that is a powerful testimony that you are making every effort. Peter uses the phrase here, confirm your calling and election. You make sure of it. You know you're saved by standing firm in your faith. And then you make every effort to grow in virtue and knowledge and self-control and patience and godliness and brotherly affection and love. Look how verses 10 and 11 conclude. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, referring back to 5 and 7, you will never fall. Then look at verse 11. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly affection, love. These are not payment. These are not, Lord, look what I've got. And now I'm going to pay my way and you're going to give me the ticket to heaven. That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying here is when you do this, you are just illustrating to God and everybody who sees you and knows you that you know you're his. And when you do that, you're in. You will make it. So let me close by asking the question, are you making every effort? Again, that's going to be the theme of our discussions tonight. Are you making every effort? We really hope you'll make the most of this opportunity to spend some time alone with God, study these verses a little more closely, or maybe gather with your family or your friends, whatever works for you. But let me say something. <clears throat> maybe I shouldn't say this, but I am. Kind of blunt. You do not have to do a home devotional tonight. You don't. I know that. You know that. We all know that. So I want to say that. Whether you're alone, don't want to do it yourself, or in a family, it's like, ah, that's just not me. It's awkward. Never done that before. Whatever excuse you want to do, what you and I know is you don't have to do a home devotional. Folks, this is just a, an effort. It's an initiative. It's a, it's a way that is to help you grow spiritually, okay? 
But you don't have to do a home devotional, okay? We know that. But this command to make every effort to supplement your faith, all these things, that is not an option. Peter is telling us here, you're not going to make it if you don't do this. This is survival 101. So here's the application. Are you making every effort toward virtue, toward moral excellence? Are you making every effort to increase your knowledge about who God is, His character, His will? Are you making every effort to strengthen your self-control? Are you making every effort to enlarge your capacity just to hang on, to be steadfast, to be patient? Are you making every effort to cultivate godliness, to develop His heart? Are you making every effort to grow warm in your affection with your fellow believers? Are you making every effort to love unconditionally, even the unlovable, even the person that you dislike the most? If these qualities are yours and are increasing, verse 8, you will not be unfruitful. Verse 10, you will never stumble. And verse 11, you will enter the kingdom of Christ. The good news, Peter says, God's for you. He's for us. He wants us in. He wants us to be saved. That's why he gave Jesus. That's why he died on the cross. If today you are ready to name the name of Jesus, have your sins washed away in baptism as you repent of a former life and you are made new and given the gift of his Holy Spirit, we're going to sing this invitation song to encourage you. Or if we can just pray for you, be your church family. Maybe it's one of these that you just need to grow in or maybe there's a struggle we want to be your family. We want to help each other. Maybe one of us needs to run to the boat and you just tread water. Can we pray for you? Won't you come as we stand and sing?